You have to build out these standard operating procedures, and then you have a template for how things work in your company. That's really been the premise of me building out all these other companies. Make it efficient as you can and make it a plug and play system where you take someone out and you can put someone else in and everything's ready for them to go. Welcome to Surgeon Syndicate. If you're paying attention, you know that you only make money when you work. It might be great money, but it's dependent on you. The information on this podcast will help you solve that. We interview experts and provide analysis into financial freedom through commercial real estate. Why? To help physicians like you thrive. Let's dive in. Welcome to Surgeon Syndicate. This is your host, Dr. Michael McManus, and we are here today with Dr. Ryan Smolars, who is the founder of Store Partners, which he created to help provide financial sovereignty to doctors interested in holding self-storage assets. He's got vast experience as an entrepreneur and as an otolaryngology practitioner. As a medical professional, he's developed a patent for a reflux medication and has another invention uh, that's patent pending. In commercial real estate, he has a broad range of experience in self-storage and assisted living in these asset classes. He has participated in both development and acquisitions. He has a great understanding of what it takes to have a successful venture and investment fund, whether the details or the team building process. He also has an MBA from the University of Miami and is a pilot and an avid surfer. That is an awesome bio. Welcome to the show, Ryan. Thank you. Nice to be here. Appreciate it. So tell me a little bit more about what got you into real estate and why you chose the asset classes that you're in. Yeah. So we did a couple of fix and flips with my brother-in-law throughout the years, but I really had no actual involvement. I was just kind of the guy that got the mortgage and kind of the backing and that sort of thing. And then in 2017, there was a lot of things that happened during that year. We had two Category 5 hurricanes back-to-back within two weeks. We were out of electricity for four months. And so that was sort of a life-changing event, right? I had already signed up to do my MBA in Miami But it was a couple of weeks later after I started to transpire and and things happened very quickly. Thankfully, Miami, well, not thankfully, but for me, the hurricane actually hit Miami. So it closed things down a little bit there and allowed me some time to sort of catch up during those sort of traumatic months. But throughout that process, I really figured out that you know this just as well as I do. If you're not going room to room or going to the operating room and doing cases and that sort of thing, you're not bringing in revenue, right? And so that started really bugging me. And I figured out that if I was really going to retire at a sensible time, then I was going to have to make some changes. And so I was listening to a podcast. I knew that business was sort of the next move for me. And it was about self-storage. and you and I both know that our lives are very complicated, right? We, <laughs> we do things that other people find unfathomable. So when I was going through this process, I said, you know what? If there is a non-complicated area of commercial real estate, that's where I want to be. And so what I found was a concrete slab and a metal box. And <laughs> that has worked out very well for me. They say that you can tell how complicated someone's life is by the amount of keys that they have, and I can barely fit them in my backpack. So (laughs) 
as we go along, I'm trying to uncomplicate my life and as well try to build something that's sustainable, that does good for the world and also provides some legacy for me and my family. You know, that's an interesting perspective when you make that switch and you realize that difference between I have to put in the work to make the money and trying to build something that when you you put the work in, but then it keeps paying, not just once. That's kind of an eye-opening moment. Absolutely. As you made this change, what was the response to the doctors around you as you kind of moved from being just a surgeon to having this other stuff going on? Well, it was really interesting. Nobody batted an eye because I didn't really stop doing my day-to-day work. I still am seeing patients five days a week, operating a couple days a week, so all those sorts of things. And so as things come along, like our building that we're in for the office, we want to get another piece of land for a parking lot. We need more parking and some of those sorts of things. We're having these conversations and I'm talking about debt service and what the state of the economy is and all these sorts of things. And they're looking at me like, where did this guy come from? Right. (laughs) We had no idea that you knew any of this. Right. So, I mean, I'm usually in a dark room behind a computer when I'm working on my project. So it really was not any sort of change for me in that respect. Okay. And then your journey into starting a fund and bringing other people on board. Tell me a little bit more about how that went for you. Yeah. So there was a time when I was with another group of guys who we were doing pretty well and doing quite a bit of acquisition. And it came to a point where they had other businesses and they said, for them, they wanted to sort of kind of close up all the rest of them because they realized what a great thing self-storage was. And I wasn't really at a point in my life where I could do that. I couldn't close up shop with the practice and my 25, 30 employees, and it just wasn't going to work, right? There was a lot of people depending on me for day-to-day providing food for their families and that sort of thing. So um, I said, that's great. And we still talk and we still go through deals and I'll send them stuff. They'll send me stuff. But it was time for me to sort of start figuring out what I wanted to do on my own. And so that's where I landed. I really love the finance piece to the commercial real estate. I like and understand the acquisition piece, but I would rather build the team to do that part and me really focus on being the fund manager. And I also realized, hey, in 2017, you were this guy that didn't really understand, literally couldn't get into my bank account, had zero idea what the finances were in my household. Absolutely none. And I thought maybe that makes me a pretty good candidate for starting to teach people about this world of investing, kind of maybe save them some hurdles that I had to go over. And I felt almost a sort of a responsibility to start doing this. And so it's worked out great. I love it. I love my team. We've just had a blast. So the team building, that's an interesting because that's when I'll admit I'm just getting there and I wish I would have done it two years ago. Yeah, because it was like, I felt like I needed to build up something to have a team rather than starting with a team to build something. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I give you credit there. So tell me a little bit more about how you built your team. Is it a local team, a virtual team? And what are some of the tasks you use them for to kind of get the ball rolling for you? Yeah. So we were mid team building right now. We're elbows deep in it. 
I've had lots of VAs over the course of my career doing my scribe work and some of those sorts of things. So I'm very in tune to that world of bringing in virtual assistants and that sort of thing. So really, I kind of started there. I'm onboarding a virtual assistant today. There was a very good friend of mine who we were talking back and forth for many months, probably a couple of years about different investments and He wanted to learn how to do options trading. So I was helping him with that and some of those sorts of things. And it came to be that he really wanted to start raising capital again. He was at a previous firm that was doing it. And now he wanted to do it again. So I said, listen, I'm starting this fund. I don't have the time to do the pitches all day. If you want to do that part of the business, then go for it. And it sort of went from there. We brought in a full marketing team for social media. So you may see a lot of our ads out there right now because we're having a big launch push. But they've sort of melded into this piece of the company where almost like a consultant, where kind of some coaching. I know nothing about marketing at all. <laughs> you know, I'm not going to portray myself as a marketing genius because I am not, but I'm learning. And so I can keep my head focused in the finances and that sort of thing, and they can help get the message out. And so as we go along, I plan on bringing in other components, like the more sophisticated virtual assistants, like an online business manager and some of those sorts of things to take as much of these things off of my plate so I can focus on the vision and where the business needs to go. I want to go back a little bit because we had this discussion within our practice about you can't find staff or they're too expensive. And we always got held up with the idea of a virtual assistant because, well, they're offshore. Are there legal ramifications? But you said you've been using them for a while for as a scribe. Where did you find those services and what was the difference in your cost versus having somebody sitting in the room typing? Yeah, that's a great question. So interestingly enough, my last year of residency, I just happened upon a booth in one of our conferences. And there was a gentleman there that had just started up the company, Physicians Angels is what it's called. And we really sat there and had a deep conversation about what it means to be in the private practice world. Because at the time I was thinking about going institutional. And he said, you know what? It's really different in the private world because it's all about efficiency. And you have to use your time in where it's helping the most people and bringing in the most revenue, right? And he said, that's what really our business is based on. He said, when I go into an operating room, I want to shave five minutes off my case, right? And I want to do it well and not cut any corners. So it's almost like a standard operating procedure-based company. And so that's really what virtual assistant is in its core. You have to build out these standard operating procedures, and then you have a template for how things work in your company, right? And so from that... That's really been the premise of me building out all these other companies is make it efficient as you can and make it a plug and play system where you take someone out and you can put someone else in and everything's ready for them to go. And that's great. Did you run into any trouble with HIPAA and those things and using somebody who is offshore? How do you navigate that? Yeah. So they have a... um, business set up in the United States. So they are the liaison between us and them. So really, there's no international issues, right? We pay them as the US-based company, and they take care of all the logistics about bringing on a virtual assistant. I've had mine. I've only had two that I remember. 
And each one of them were with me for, man, over five years. So, you know, okay. Yeah, tons of time. And this is Physician Angels. That's the one for ENT. Um, okay. I think they do urology. I'm not sure, but we could get you their names by all means. They really have done a phenomenal job. That's awesome. So these are out there. And hopefully we can get that in the show notes. The team who produces this whole show is in the Philippines. They are amazing. To the language skills, there's not a gap. And this is just my little pitch to everybody out there. Probably have better grammar than half the people I work with in the United States. So it's a great topic. And that's why I'm kind of in the process now of interviewing for a business manager to have somebody to help me build the whole team and do the team building. And to see this side, just knowing that we stalled out on hiring transcriptionists, not transcriptionists, but the people who sit in the room, I just lost the word. Scribe, yeah. Yeah, scribe. And that if we could have used a service that just easily made that available, it would have been a game changer. So sorry, that took us off topic from where we were going. No worries. No worries. Always that? about that. That's awesome. Okay. So what do you got going on now that's new? There were some things as I was looking through, we met through an introduction from somebody else who I was on their show. And then I chased you down on LinkedIn. So tell me a little bit more about what's going on. It sounds like you got some interesting things that are going. Yeah. So there's a lot of things that I've been working on for years and years that have just kind of come to fruition all at the same time. But let's focus on the fund. So we decided to launch. It's been two weeks to get our message out. We're actively raising right now and have three projects that we're trying to fill. But it's really a lot of work to get your name out there as now not a doctor, but someone that's in commercial real estate. So it's a whole lot of fun. I get to talk to a whole lot of doctors and get to understand where people's heads are in their investing sort of journey. And so to me, that's incredible. But yeah, I mean, right now we've done three seller finance deals in the last year. Our last one worked out phenomenally well. And that's sort of what we're doing is using a whole bunch of virtual assistants to call around to different business owners around the country with self-storage. We have, I don't know, at this point, maybe eight, 10 states that we're calling on every day. There may be 1,200 calls made in a week and asking them if they want to sell and get on the phone with us. And basically what we're doing is doing a lot of education on the back end for the sellers. So we're talking about seller carry seller financing. And we're saying, hey, look, if you mapping out the numbers, if you sell for this and you carry this note, we can probably get you to where the same amount of take home that you had running the facility and just sitting back and doing your retired thing and also kind of shielding your capital gains. And we can walk through how much savings that is and all those sorts of things. And on the flip side with our investors, we're walking through cost seg studies and depreciation schedules and all those sorts of things to try to help people understand like this really can be a win-win game for everyone. When you have new docs coming to you, so they're new to the real estate investing world, because that's a good portion of our listeners here, especially looking at passive investing. What are the biggest hurdles you see with people jumping in and making their first investment? Yeah. So I think it's fear of fraud is number one, right? Getting involved with a group or conglomerate that either doesn't know what they're doing or actively selling a bill of goods. Uh-huh. 
And so we have a whole podcast on how to vet sponsors and that sort of thing to make yourself feel comfortable that you're not getting in some sort of Ponzi scheme or something like that. And then I think the second one is understanding of the language. And I always tell a story and hopefully this resonates with you. Go back to your first day of anatomy lab, right? Where we're doing cadaver dissections and we're looking around. I know I was, I don't know about everyone else, but I was just completely baffled about how am I going to learn this? It's just so daunting, like in my head, like, am I really going to be able to do this? It just seems overwhelming. And so to me, that's exactly what Wall Street is. It's a lot of people who want you to think that you're not smart enough to do it. And really, with just a little bit of education, it's just like that. So in two weeks end of the anatomy lab, you're like, okay, well, here's the nerve that goes here and the vessel and blah, blah, blah. It's the same sort of thing. I hear a lot of reasons when I talk to people. And there's that fear in getting over that hurdle. I think when they look at a lot of syndication deals, we'll have high minimum investments because as the syndicator, if you've got a ton of people with low dollars, your expenses go way up. For the listeners, that's part of why people do that is because it eats into the returns for the investor. It eats into everybody's returns, and that's why they push up those higher numbers. But one of the things you can do is, is you call and you talk to syndicators, and if you like the deal, but the number's too big. You're like, I don't want to put $100,000 into my first syndication or 50 or wherever your number is there or even 20. And most syndicators, if you say, hey, I'm interested and I could do these numbers, but I'm new and I don't know you, we'll let you dabble. If there's potential for the future, they'll let you dabble. I invested recently with a retail center at way below their minimum investment because I said, hey, I may have some people coming along that we may do some bigger deals together, but I'd like to kind of see the way you guys run. And myself, I could look at stuff, you know, this. you look and you learn it and it's not as real as when you put your money in and you start to see what's happening and then the learning really hits home. Yeah, absolutely. I tell people all the time, the biggest education that you can ever get is just get pitched. Just get in the room, right? And go through these documents and the pitch deck, the numbers that have been produced by other deals. I don't understand the thought process of if you want to do it, not doing that. I mean, I work with 1,500 fund managers on a quarterly basis. We'll go and all in a convention center and we'll all kind of go through deals and, hey, what's working? What's not? What's the market looking like? What's not? And so to not be able to find a group that you feel comfortable with, to me, is just a lot of not looking, right? I mean, because they're there. You, me, we're working hard to put out that information. Yeah. And a good sponsor doesn't mind talking to people. That's usually the person talking to people enjoys talking to people. I get nervous when they try and pitch too hard. Yeah, that really you're looking for a good relationship that you're on the same page and they should be trying to sort that out of what are you trying to get out of this? Where are you trying to go and have those conversations? And then you'll start to understand the words when you hear them over and over and over again. And I think it's doctors who used to be in the expert and you hate to be the dumb guy. And when they explain something to you, you've heard before and you feel like you should know it and go, wait a minute. Okay. 
tell me about this waterfall thing again. I have no idea what you're talking about. And then you'll start to get it. That's great. So you have a podcast that's helping educate on those things. What's the name of the podcast? Called The Medicine and Money Show. The Medicine and Money Show. So check that out. All right. So I want to get here in the second half. So you've been doing some things with blockchain technology. Yes. And that to me is, I understand it enough to not really understand it. And it's still a little bit of a magic black box. So I want to get into that in the second half of the show. So thank you for being here. We're going to bring Ryan back for the second half of this interview. So please join us again. This has been an episode of Surgeon Syndicate. If you found value in this episode, no other surgeons are hungry to become job optional. You can help them by sharing this content today. I also want to serve you better, so I want to offer you two things. Number one, I'll be able to give you the content in an even better way if you can take a moment and leave an honest review of the show explaining what you like and what you don't. Number two, if you are a surgeon and serious about this, you don't want to do this on your own because you don't want to make mistakes with your money. I'd be happy to help schedule a call. We can make a plan. Looking forward to having you with me on the next episode.